Ryan used to be Robert Greene's research assistant. What have you learned from Ryan Holiday being under Robert Greene? Most of the learning is kind of like on a subconscious level. Like the way in which Ryan like goes about his day has been very informative of how like I break up my days and how I carve out time to read. And, and the note card system is fully like a result of me seeing him do it and this habit that I do every day, I, I wouldn't have known to do this unless like I saw Ryan doing it. I've interviewed a couple of writers and every writer, they carve out time to go on walks. The brain is super active when it's not doing anything. And she called it random episodic silent thinking. That's the state in which you're in when you're on a walk. The most complex and human parts of the brain are firing when there's nothing happening. That's like why a lot of writers find that their best ideas come when they're walking or when they're not doing anything is. Would love to hear more about like what it takes to write a New York Times bestseller but like what goes into that all right all right welcome Billy to the podcast man so happy to have you today on the show thanks for having me so I, I want to jump right into it I, I did a lot of research on you over the past few days and obviously you know one of the, the biggest notable things you're doing right now is you are Ryan Holiday's research assistant and for anyone who doesn't know who Ryan Holiday is Ryan Holiday has written many, many New York Times bestseller books and, you know, a few which have had a lot of your help uh, in the backgrounds as well. So I want to just start there, which is how did you even get started working for Ryan Holiday? I, so I initially just cold emailed him. Um, I was, when I graduated from college, I was, I was sort of traveling and um, in, in, in those travels, I had started writing this blog, and it was really just a way to keep friends and family up up to date with what I was doing. And my uncle was like my biggest supporter of of that blog, and he was um, super encouraging of, of my writing. And uh, at one point, it was just like, I think you should start taking this writing thing more seriously, and if you do, you should read this book. Uh, perennial seller by Ryan Holiday, and prior to that point, I hadn't hadn't heard of Ryan or his work. Um, so I I bought that book and I, I read it and and then I just went down the rabbit hole of Ryan's work and learned more about his his trajectory of, of working with with writers and he was Robert Greene's research assistant for for a while and um, and so I just I thought if I do I do want to start taking the, this writing thing more seriously and that would be the best way to do it would be to apprentice under um, a, a real writer so I, I reached out to him and um, it was kind of part just a fan email part like is there any way I'd be able to help you with with the research stuff and um, he got back to me and was like yeah I actually could use some help I'll be in touch and that, that sort of kicked off our, our relationship and from there it was just um, odd projects here and there, like he'd send me uh, a page from a book he was reading and, and be like, hey, could you track down, th this guy mentions this other book, could you find it for me? Or um, I remember he had me transcribe a conversation between he and Robert Greene. Um, and just odd, odd sort of projects like that, he'd, he'd send them to me every every week or two. I'd just kind of randomly hear from him. Um, and I'd send that, those things back to him and then slowly it just kind of evolved into a full-time writing research assistant position. So I've been with them since 2018. Amazing. That's, um, and that's interesting because before doing, doing my research and, and learning more about you, I didn't even know a research assistant was, was a role. So it was, uh, it was interesting to see. And, and obviously it, it makes sense in hindsight, right? Like you, yeah, you, know, you have so many ideas to write a, a, a book. You have to be able to organize it and, and gather the right information. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I mean, Ryan is such a voracious reader and researcher that he could probably do a lot of what he does without without me. But I think I was reaching out to him at a point in his career where he was starting to expand what he was doing. He was starting to get into some other mediums and... Um, so a lot of the stuff I was doing early on was just like, hey, could we adapt this chapter into a, uh, a script for a YouTube video? Um, and I think I, I caught him at a right point in, in his career where 
if I had, if I had emailed him a year earlier, he wouldn't have been looking for help. Uh, he wouldn't have been looking for someone like me to help with, with what I do. But, um, and then it slowly evolved into like, I got a feel for the things he looks for when he's reading. So he would he'll send me like a book and be like, Hey, could you just read this and see if there's anything I might like? Um, so it's, it, it, it sort of evolved to a point where I, I am helping with the research on the books, but um, it wasn't really initially that. Yeah. So I, I would love to learn more about the evolution of your role because, you know, research assistant can be very vague. And I know in the beginning you said it was as simple as just transcribing you yeah. know, an interview. How has that, how's your role changed over the years in terms of complexity? Um, so when I first came on sort of in the full-time position, um, so I'd been doing this sort of odd, odd project for him here and there. And then he was, I was living in Colorado at the time and he, I knew he was based in Texas and I used this, um, this, uh, app called Strava for like recording, uh, runs and stuff. And there's like a kind of a social element to it. Like you can follow people and, and see what, if, if someone just records a run, you can see where they are and how far they went and all, all that kind of stuff. And Ryan had recorded a run in Vail, Colorado, which was like 15 minutes from where I lived. And prior to that, it hadn't come up like he, had, he didn't have any idea where I lived. So I, I just I emailed him. was like, hey, I live down the street from, from Vail. How long are you in town? And he, he had been in town uh, speaking at this conference. So I went to the conference and we, and we talked afterwards and he was like, um, it's really great that you came because I was talking to my business partner this morning. We want to bring on someone full time. Would you have interest? And for that position was with, um, for daily stoic primarily. Um, so initially like my full time role was managing the daily stoic email, all of the content, um, when things were running, um, the daily stoic that obviously he has a, a book called Daily Stoic, but is that his daily email? Yeah, so he also sends out a daily email, um, and the, the that list started. Um, he put out the book, and in the back of the book, there's like, for more, subscribe to Daily Stoic, the the Daily Stoic email. Um, so he's been growing that list since around the time the book came out. Um, at this point, it's at like six hundred thousand people. It goes out to every morning, so we're yeah. we're constantly writing. Um, those emails and just kind of creating a buffer of content for, for the email list. And he records all of them and they also get uh, sent out on the podcast. So I was, I was managing um, all of the content and making sure like he was recording stuff. Um, I would take those audio files and schedule them in like the, the software we used to load them to the podcast app and, and whatnot. And it was kind of like a managerial role. And it was less research and writing. It was just kind of containing all of the content and figuring out when it was running. Um, so more like an operational role. Initially, yeah. Right? And, and like taking the things he was writing and figuring out a way to like, can we get some tweets out of this? Or could this also be a YouTube video? Or could, could it be a TikTok? Um, so he so would just write kind of, like a long form and then you would try and see where it could be repurposed. Yeah, exactly. Got it. So everything still to this day, everything starts in the written form for, for everything Ryan does. And then we're, now we have a team, uh, it's grown to a point where like, I, I no longer do that, the content management stuff. Like we brought on someone full time to do that. We have a full time, um, video and podcast producer. We have social media manager. Uh, so the team's grown in the last couple of years, but when he was just starting to get into those mediums, I was, I was managing all that stuff. Got it. Got it. And so tell me more about how you transitioned from more of like an operational repurposing to more of a, you know, full on research assistant and, and, and writer. So I just, I mean, I initially reached out to him just cause I, I, I love the research and the reading part of, um, even when I was just writing my, mostly my own stuff, like my favorite part of the process was the, the researching and, and reading and that role that, and that I was, I was 
um, the, the, the sort of like management operations role, the, it had kind of mushroomed to a point where like I wasn't doing any researching or reading or writing. Um, it was all just like trying to keep a handle on all the content and where things were running. Um, so I, at some point I had a conversation with Ryan, like, Hey, here's like what I'm doing. And like, I would love to get back to a, a spot where I'm, I'm doing more research and, and writing stuff. And he was like, yeah, this, he, he sort of agreed with it. And it was like, um, so we brought on someone to, who's like a, just a, a full-time content manager. And she, she tracks all the, all the content, um, that, that she, we hired her a year and a half ago at this point, I guess. Um, so it was when she came on that kind of freed me up to get back to the, the research and, and writing stuff. Yep. Got it. And so what does your day to day look like currently? Um, I, I read first thing in the morning for about an hour and a half, two hours. Um, and then I, I'll get, I'll get into a, from there I'll get straight into something writing related. Um, so with the, the daily stoic stuff, for instance, like, like I mentioned, we're constantly trying to add to the, the backlog of, of emails and what, what Ryan will often do is he will email me something he's come across in his reading that he thinks could be a good daily stoic email. And I will draft one of those emails and then tag him in the doc in a Google doc and then he'll polish it. Um, he writes, he, he writes like 95% of them, but every now and again, he'll, he'll be like, Hey, could you, could you draft this one up for me? Um, so I just have like a bunch of raw material waiting to be, um, transformed into those daily stoic emails. And, um, so I'll usually jump into like something writing related and usually after like hour and a half or two, I'm kind of cognitively drained from, from the writing stuff. So I'll, I'll take a break, might go for a walk or a run or something. And then, um, and then I do some more reading and research stuff in, in the afternoon. And then I try to carve out some time for my, my own stuff. Yeah. Um, so you so that's, that's a pretty typical day. So it's a lot of research and then really just a lot of focus time to write for an hour and a half, two hours a day. Is that your yeah. sweet spot? And a lot of like synthesizing the reading. So I use, I have this box of note cards right next to me here. And like, I, I probably spend an hour a day just going through all the, all the things I've consumed and like trying to find, like pull out the best parts. And I transfer those things onto note cards and I file those away. Um, so that's a big part of, and then those note cards become like the building blocks of the written content. Yeah. So a lot of it really does have to come down to proper organization of ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Reading. Yeah. Just consuming a lot. And then the reviewing of, of that reading is also crucial. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I just, like when I read a book, I, I'm, I'm ear dog earing, pages. And then when I finish the book, I, I usually set it aside for, for a period of time. And then I go back through. So like right now I've, I'm, I'm reading a book, but I also have a stack of books that I finished that I need to go back through and find the, the pieces I want to pull out. Got it. And I, I think that's so, that's what a lot of people don't do, right? And it's so easy nowadays, especially in today's day and age where you just pick up a book, you read it, and that's it. You don't yeah. take notes. You don't highlight it. You don't go back and review it. And then like you finish the book and be like, wow, this was an amazing book. And then not remember like what you learned. So. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, even with like podcasts, I think um, like I'll, I'll listen to a podcast and if, if they say something that's like, I find interesting, I'll, I'll timestamp it in Apple notes and just kind of like make a note of like to remind myself of what, what this person was talking about at that point. But, and then I also, I'll review those, those Apple notes like once a week and see if I want to pull anything out. And then I'm like re-listening to that part of the interview. And, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm big on the going back and, and reviewing those, those notes. So you found for you, it's active listening. Like you don't listen to something fully first and then go back and take notes. You're taking notes throughout and saving stuff 
and then reviewing it after yeah. you're done. So. Yep. So as soon as there's like a point of, of the interview, if I'm listening to an interview on a podcast, as soon as the, the, it comes to a point where they say something that I want to like, I find interesting, I want to make a note of, I pull up Apple Notes and like copy and paste a link to that interview into Apple Notes and say like who the guest is. And then I timestamp like, um, and usually I'll put a question because I find like a question for whatever reason jogs my memory better than just like a statement. So it's a question related to what that person was talking about. Got it. Got it. That's super interesting. And uh, I mean, it, it also just makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, how have you improved your own personal writing? over the years? Um, I mean, the biggest, the biggest thing that's helped me improve is that everything I've, I've written in the past three, four years has had to go through Ryan's filter. Even when it's not like something that I'm publishing, if it's anything within the umbrella of work I'm doing for him, he has final say on, on, um, the final version of, of those of those things. So, I'll I'll draft a daily stoic email, for instance, and um, he'll put his notes in. And like, hey, we need this. Um, you need to change this. You need to add something here. And through that process, over over time, like my now my drafts are closer to um, his sort of filter of what he wants to publish. Um, than they were two years ago. So I think like writing for uh, rejection is, I've heard Cal Newport talk about like writing for rejection. So having, if I, if I didn't, if I wasn't working for Ryan, like I, I'm sending him something when I think it's ready to go out. Um, and if I didn't have him to be like putting his notes and giving me the feedback, um, I think my, my progress would be much slower because I'd be, I'd be, just be putting out stuff that I thought was good, but then you need that sort of um, unbiased eyes to, to give you kind of the, the reality of how it could be better. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and, and you said Ryan used to be Robert Green's research assistant in the early days. Yeah, when he was like 19 for... I don't know how many years, but yeah, he, he was, he was with Robert for a while. He still does a lot of work with Robert. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's a, uh, see, that's interesting. Sometimes you don't know. And so I guess, what have you learned from Ryan holiday being under Robert green? Cause Robert green has, has also written many, many best selling books. And I'm sure that's, that's a lot of wealth of knowledge being passed down to you as well. Yeah. Um, I've also spent a little bit of time with Robert, so I, I've learned, and I'm, I'm also just a huge fan of his books and, um, I, I don't know. I feel like most of the learning is kind of like on a subconscious level. Like I'm not super, like, it's not like Ryan or Robert is sitting me down and saying, Hey, here's what I, I want to teach you. It's just kind of through <laughs> yeah. their, like, Imagine. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just through like observing like the way in which Ryan like goes about his day has been very informative of how like I break up my days and how I carve out time to read and and the note card system is fully like a result of me seeing him do it and um so it's just being like in the vicinity of him and um that that has been the real and it's only sort of with it, with hindsight and reflection that I go, oh yeah, this is like this habit that I do every day. I, I wouldn't have known to do this unless like I saw Ryan doing it. Yeah. So t tell me more about that. Like what, what is Ryan Holiday's day-to-day -day routine like? Um, similar to like what I described. He's, um, he, he's a big walker. I think he, he goes for a long walk first thing every morning with, with his kids. Um, and then he, get, he goes straight into whatever he's, he's working on. Like he has a couple books in the works right now. So I think 
he'll go straight into um, some writing for, for one of the book projects. And then he usually writes three or four daily stoic emails a day, I'd say. Um, three or four. Oh, so he's writing yeah. way in advance. Oh yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's like a super efficient writer. Like if you see him in a Google doc, he's just, it, it looks as if he's transcribing something like it just comes straight out of his mind. Like he knows what he wants to say and it, and it comes out kind of, um, there's no, there's no lulls in like him typing. It's just like, whereas if I'm, if I'm writing something there's a lot of like start and stopping as I'm trying to think about what, how I want to phrase this, but Ryan is just like, comes straight out of him. So he, he can bang out those emails, um, in like 30 minutes and, and he will knock out three or four. Um, and then he, it's, so he has a, he has a bookstore here in Texas that, and I go there twice a week, two or three times a week. And it's interesting to see him like, he'll be in his office and then I'll get tagged in something he had just written. And then he'll, he'll, you'll see him like walk outside and he just goes for a walk and then he comes back and he's sitting on the porch and he's reading and he's like eating lunch over a book. Um, and then he goes back into his office, he, he does some work and then he comes back out and like goes for a walk with his kids. So there's a lot of like, um, he carves out like blocks of time, gets his work done and then, um, he's, he's doing, he's doing something else. He's on you the You know move. what's interesting? I've interviewed a couple of writers as well and every writer, they carve out time to go on walks. Yeah every writer and and i and i know you mentioned something similar as well for you too like it's just on those walks you're you're getting these creative ideas it's i almost feel like like more of the creative types they don't want to be busy every single second they need time to like digest and think and really to really condense what what they're they're trying yeah. to say or think about definitely i so i'm um, a few months ago, I read this book called The Creative Brain by uh, Dr. Nancy Andreessen. And she has this really interesting concept in there. Um, so she, she's an, a neuroscientist. And when she was first getting out of school, she was kind of preparing for her first re research project. And in the past, the way like m most of these research studies were designed was like you'd have a rest group and like an active group to test like what the brain was doing. So you'd have a control group that was like doing nothing and you'd monitor their brain. And then you'd have like a group doing like a crossword puzzle and you'd see how like their brain is, um, what parts of the, of the brain are firing during, during that crossword puzzle. And she was like, she thought about it. And she's like, I, I feel like my brain is, is more active when I'm just like laying on the couch with my eyes closed thinking. Um, so she like tested like that was the, the test group rather than the control group. And what she found was like the brain is super active when it's not doing anything. And she called it um, random episodic silent thinking. And with the acronym is rest. And in that, and it's like, that's the state in which you're in when you're on a walk without, if you're not like listening to anything, if you're, if you're just letting your, your mind wander. Um, and she talked about how it's like your, your brain, the most complex and human parts of the brain are, are, are firing when there's nothing happening. So I, I think that's like why a lot of writers find that their best ideas come when they're walking or when they're, when they're not doing anything is, um, cause the brain is actually doing a lot of complex, like processing and, um, making connections. And, uh, it's in those, like those gaps of, of time when you're not doing anything that a lot of that stuff is happening. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so I know you've been around, you've been working for Ryan, you said three, four years now? Yeah, four. I think four. Yeah. And so obviously in that time, he's, he's put out a, a few books or a couple or a few books, you know, yeah. all, of, all of which have hit the, the New York Times bestseller. Yeah. So would love to hear more about your process and, and what that was like with your exposure and help on, on that end in terms of like what it takes to write a New York Times bestseller book. Like what goes into that? Yeah, so his, I mean, his process is pretty dialed in 
um, he he's also like I said, I, I adopted his no card system, so that's a huge part of his process. Um, and when he's like when he's sitting down to to actually put the book together, it is more of like assembling the pieces from the research. Um, so, and he writes each book, he creates like a new uh, Google Drive file, and 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 then creates individual documents for each chapter. And then as he writes them, he'll, he'll send them to me. And like, there's usually gaps that he's wanting to, to have filled in. So like, if he's writing a story about some historical figure, he, he re remembers like the broad strokes of the story, but there's usually some finer details that I need to go through and, and fill in, um, just like dates and time periods and locations and things like that. Um, so the process is just kind of that back and forth in Google documents and, um, and he might like, he'll, he'll usually narrow in on a story he wants to tell and then he'll want to find everywhere that story has been told. So I'll go out and like find other, if it's a, if it's a story of, um, uh, Winston Churchill or something and Ryan found it in this one biography, I'll go find where else it's told in other biographies and see if, if any details are left out of the version Ryan came across it in, he'll want to see that. Um, and then I just kind of put those things in a document for him. And, and then he, he'll, he'll either use some of those details or he won't, but it's kind of, he just wants to round out the story. Um, and it's just kind of that iterative process in, in the, in the documents. And then he gets to a point where, uh, he's written enough of the book to move it all into one word document. And that's usually like a, a pretty, uh, it's a big day because it's like, um, it means it's like the first draft is like basically there. And then from there you can start to like sculpt and polish. And, um, as far as like the, how to hit the bestseller, I, I mean, I just think he just, the th his storytelling ability, his ability to find um, like hidden gems in the books he reads is, is real, real, like one of his his superpowers. I think, um, like I could read I could read a book that he reads and not take note of a story that he notices, um, and that's been one of the, one of the things I've learned from him is just like tune it honing in on, on that ability to recognize those things, um, yeah. I think is, is what he's really good at. Um, and then the other part of it is just like, he has a huge audience now and he, the daily stoic list I mentioned is, is 600,000 people or, or something. So when he has a book, he goes straight to people that are, are super familiar with his work and it's taken him 15 years to, to build that, um, that audience. But now, um, he he can go straight to straight to his audience, and if he if enough of those people buy the book, like he's kind of it's surefire to hit the, sure the list. Yeah. So going back to you said putting out the the first draft, like what what goes into that, and and I almost want to hear from like a beginner's perspective because for me, like I hate writing. Like in college, high school, when I had to write an essay, I would wait to the last second. Yeah. to pump out like a five page essay and it was brutal. So, you know, for, for the, the beginner writer who, or maybe someone even writing a book for the first time, right? Like, is there kind of like a standard operating procedure you have where it's like you, you have the big idea for the book first and you come up with chapters and then you tackle every chapter one by one. Uh, and then you get to that first draft or, or what is that process like to get to that yeah. first draft? Well, so usually, um, the way it works is like you, you, if you have an idea for a book, you, cr you create a book proposal and then you go shop that around to the publishers and the proposal is kind of like a, um, rough outline of, of the idea and also some sample chapters that, um, but it usually, it usually evolves through the process of actually going out and writing the book, but usually get someone, a publisher to, um, 
kind of sign off on the idea and and then you go out and and execute on that idea um and so for ryan like he will have a a sort of concept he wants to write about sell the proposal and and then the most of the legwork is is the researching so it's going out and just finding stories and anecdotes and concepts throughout history that um to help make the argument he's wanting to make in the book and he likes to crack the structure of the book before he sits down to write anything so he wants to know um the title and like his last few books he's have been in a three-part structure and he wants to know what those three parts are going to be before he sits down to write a word um and with the note cards, like he has this box for each book, he has a box of note cards, and and then he starts to um, break that box into the sections that he's come up with for the book, and then by the chapters. So usually, like all of the the raw material is there in that box, and he's he's fully like conceived of of what the book's going to be, the the parts and the chapters. Um, and then he kind of like goes one by one through those sections of the note card box, pulls out his his next his his note cards on each, each section, and then the writing is basically just stringing all of that research together. Gotcha. But the the research he does in the notes beforehand, it's not all related to that book, right? Because like what you said, it's your your note card strategy is just basically all of the content. Yeah. Research over time. So, so he has he has one. He has a box that he calls his commonplace book, which is just like, it's not related to a specific project he's currently working on. It's just something he came across and found interesting and he wants to, to capture. So usually when he, when he starts to work on, on a new book, he goes through that box to see if there's anything he's captured over the years that is now related to this, this book he's now working on. Uh, tell me more about the the three part structure for anyone listening who's not a not a writer. What what is that three part? No, structure? I, I I just mean the 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 layout of the book. So like he did a um, so his book Ego is the Enemy, for instance. Like part one is failure, part two is uh, success, or part one is aspiring, part two is success, part three is failure. And his idea is there's kind of these three, there's one of three uh, phases you're in as, as just a, a person. You're either aspiring to something, you're succeeding at something, or you're failing at something. So he came up with that as, as the three parts of this book um, before he, he wrote anything. Yeah. I think a lot of like movies and things like that follow a, a, a big picture, three-part structure. Yeah, that's like the the three act structure. It's a little bit. That's just kind of like the general um, uh, layout of of storytelling. I, I don't necessarily mean that. I mean like he's literally coming up with like part one is going to be called the body, part two is going to be Got the it. mind, part three is going to be the spirit. Gotcha. Um, so it's, you, you're not referring to like the the movie, the hero's structure. journey, yeah. st structure. No. Got it. Gotcha. Um, what are your thoughts on AI and writing? Obviously, that's I think over the years that's going to be a pretty big impact on writers. What are what what's your take on that? Um, my sort of take on this is I wrote a piece called um, "The Cup of Coffee Theory of AI," which is about kind of like the the element of taste is kind of the, the biggest challenge of anyone creating anything is like how do, how do you how do you know if what you created is going to resonate with other people um and there's really no formula for that there's no like no way to be certain that this thing i just made is going to land with an audience and i think that's going to be the one kind of challenge that will will not be able to be solved by it whether it's like a human or 
a robot creating the thing, there's still there's still going to be that um, that challenge of will other people like this thing I just made? And I, th I think AI is like a great tool, and, and it's going to be um, allow people to, to create more stuff probably, and um, but still, it's at the end, end of the day that the art is sort of knowing like how it will resonate with an audience. Um, and maybe there will come a point in time where it, it can crack that as well, but I think that'll always kind of be like the mystery. You never really know why something connects and why something doesn't. Yep. Got it. Yeah, I, mean, I think it'll be interesting to see as it pans out, especially I think as AI gets, gets smarter. Yeah. The more content you have, the more it can digest on like your writing style and things like that. I'm sure like if you fed AI, even currently, like all of Ryan Holiday's books and, and daily emails over the years, at least just even seeing what it's been able to do on the, on yeah. the, the music space already where it's generating music. Right. I think um, it's going to be, I mean, I, I think for, for writers who have a lot of content, they can le definitely leverage that. For, right. for their own benefit in terms of just pumping out content. So. It's also interesting that like if Ryan was starting today and only used AI, you wouldn't be able to say, write something in the style of Ryan Holiday. You know? Correct. Like he did he he the person created so much content that like you can say that to an AI bot now. So like at some point if if that's all anyone does there's going to be fewer and fewer um, uh, kind of like styles to prompt the AI on because no one's like creating anything new. It's just like regurgitating so-and-so yeah. style. And I think what's scary though is, is technically it can, it can still multiply in the short term, right? Because let's say you want it to be unique or something. It's like, Hey, come up with the writing style that's a mix of right. Ryan Holiday and Robert Greene, for example. And then, boom, now you have a unique voice in that sense. Obviously, that would then will get duplicated. Now you for sure. add another variable. So, Yeah, it's interesting because I'm also a huge believer in like a lot of art is just remixing stuff. Um, so it's and, – and that's essentially what AI is great at. But – but, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's going to be, and I've like, I've dabbled with some of the tools and like, I've used, I've tried to use like prompt chat GPT to do stuff. And I've just never been like that blown away with what it produces. Um, and that's a, another thing I sort of think about with, um, with like the no card system, for instance, like I've, I've adopted it in part because I was like, Ryan is is so prolific and and the the quality in which he produces is so high that like and he credits it to this system um so that's like testimonial enough for the power of the of of the no card system and still people will will email me i i've i've written a piece on the no card system and the, people will email me and be like hey why don't you just like use evernote and like connect kindle to directly transfer your highlights into evernote and I've not really heard of someone using that system and creating at a level of as like a Ryan or a Robert Green, because Robert also uses physical note cards. So I I wow. I kind of think about like I want to find someone that's doing work at a high level and and think about the tools they're using. And I'm not I've not seen anyone using ChatGPT to like a crazy quality standpoint. You know what I mean? Yeah, got it. Gotcha. Tell me a little bit more about what you're writing. I know you write your own. Is it weekly or daily email? Uh, weekly, every Sunday. Yeah. So tell me a little more about what what you write about. What your what topics you're passionate about about uh, talking. The so I do this newsletter every Sunday called Six at Six at Six, and the way it initially started was I was just trying to think about like what do I currently do that lends itself to uh, 
consistent newsletter content? Like, what am I doing that I could weekly put out content? And the answer was the note cards. I, like I was, I'd collected, I had a couple boxes full of, of these things I'd come across over the years and, and reading and researching. And my initial idea for the newsletter was to scan six note cards and just send that out each week. Um, and I, I like did that at first I scanned a bunch of them. I, I just didn't like the way it looks. So then I was like, all right, maybe I'll just transcribe them. Um, so the, the first few editions of the newsletter were just like six disparate ideas that I just had come across and thought were interesting or useful. Um, and then over time it sort of evolved where I'll, I'll pick a theme each week and write on that, that theme. Um, so like last week I wrote about, um, uh, this idea of match quality from, um, it refers to like the, de- the degree to which a person's personality matches to the work that they do. Um, and that was just kind of like a note card I had made from reading. I think I first came across that idea in the book range by David Epstein. Um, and then over time I've just seen stories of like match quality, um, and books I've read and on podcasts and stuff. So, so I'll open with like that idea of match quality. And then it's like five stories and examples that illustrate that idea of match quality. Um, and it's just like, I, I tend to find that each, each week I just kind of latch onto an idea, um, that I'm, for some reason just like kind of pops in my head when I'll, I'll like go for a walk or something, just kind of like let my mind wander and like, oh, I'm, I'm thinking about this idea of match quality. And then I just kind of decide like that, that'll be this week's newsletter. Um, yep. so it kind of, it, my interest in like, there's not really one theme I'm writing about. It's just kind of like whatever I'm interested in. And, and then the kind of, uh, the the format is consistent but the the topics are are changing week to week yep that makes sense that makes sense I mean, and honestly like just even hearing your routine i'm i'm so jealous cuz i feel like you can one 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 day that will be my dream job where i can just relax yeah. read a lot of books think what share. It, what does your typical day look like my typical day right now, I, I spend a lot of time working on the business, and and it's it's obviously gotten a lot better over the years. Like in the beginning days of of my business, so I have, I have a media company. So yeah, we have like forty employees now, so it's it's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that goes on when you have forty employees and you're trying to grow. It's uh you, you deal with internal business things, and obviously I, I have an amazing team who who handles a lot of the day to day, but we're not yet at the point where like I can take my eye off the day to day. So I'm still pretty involved. Like right now I'm working heavily on, on marketing, but Mondays, for example, I'll have either team meetings or one-on-ones with, with people who report directly into me. And then Tuesdays, depending on the day, Tuesdays might be like my, my content day or like a deep work day. So Mondays and Thursdays, I usually have meetings all day. So those are my meeting days. And then I have three days a week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday to basically do work. So I I do six days on, one day off. Um, And if I'm feeling really good, I'll I'll just work all seven days. But for the most part, six days on, one day off. And Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. Saturday is where I basically just nobody's, you know, a lot of people aren't on Slack. I'm not getting bombarded by email so I can get a lot of deep focus work done in terms of like what are what's the biggest problem I need to solve in the business Tuesdays um I would say Tuesdays and Fridays um, Tuesdays and Fridays for for a day and a half are more of like content days so right now you know I have this podcast that that I'm working on which which I'm trying to grow and and get more guests and, and interview people. Um, but I also want to have more time so that I can write. So I want to carve out some time on my Tuesdays and Fridays where I can actually write and share my, my ideas. Cause it actually, it does help me a lot on the business side too. 
when I can kind of just formulate my thoughts from what I'm learning, because it, it all ties back to what I can teach my team or, or feed them in terms of, hey, here's how we should be solving this problem, or here's how we should be thinking about this. And then Wednesday, I'm normally doing a lot of deep work uh, internally for the company as well. So I have two, two days of meetings, two days where I'm doing deep work for the company and deep work that can mean anything. So like whatever is the, the most important thing. So right now, the biggest thing for us is, is improving our marketing. So like I might uh, do some research on competitor analysis or, or look at our ads and figure out how we can rewrite our ads better, which is what I'm currently doing right now. Um, and then the other two days would be uh, content and, and working on that side to help you know, gain traction on, on the social media side. Got it. Makes sense. I guess like the one, the one good thing about that is because you're kind of constrained, you only have those two or three days where you can do the deep focus work. It's that, that constraint I, I imagine is like, it, it helps you focus in because you know, like tomorrow's a meeting day. Like I've got to take them. I've got to make the most of this time. Whereas like for me, I can find myself. It's like, I, I have a similar schedule every day. So there's not that like, um, constraint on me, which I think sometimes like, it's like when you, when you're on deadline or something, it's like that, that it's due tomorrow. You're able to, to lock in, in a way that isn't, you can't always. Um, so that sound it kind of sounds like a nice balance that you yeah. have. Yeah. It's definitely a nice balance. And, um, my strengths are definitely more, it's, it's so interesting because my brain defaults to the future and, and like, you know, three months, six months, nine months ahead. And I, and I would say that's a strength in terms of like, I, I have to be that person if I'm the, you know, the, the founder, CEO, so that like, I'm the one like steering the ship, right? Right. While people are manning it. But at the same time, I was working with, uh, with, a, with Grace, you know, the, my, my hypnotherapist this morning and, and doing that first session, we were like kind of breaking that down because I, one of the things I, I told her I wanted to work on was my procrastination because like when, especially when it's things that you don't want to do, or you might think you want to do it, but your default is to procrastinate. And so, for example, for me growing up high school, college, you name it, I would procrastinate on everything. And so I would procrastinate on writing essays. So if it was due at 7, 8 AM, I would start at 12 or 1 AM. If I had a test on that day, I would start studying at 12 or 1 a.m. And she asked me a very interesting question, which was, which was, how did you do on those tests and on those essays? And my answer was, you know, I, I got A's or B's on the essays. Like I, I never flunked any essays. I never flunked any tests. Like I did relatively well. And what that does is it trains your mind that that's okay. Right. Right. And so it's interesting now. And, and I, and I went through a lot of exercises with her where I had to basically rewire my mind and, and training. There was a lot of visualization work in terms of like going back and, and, and diving deep into the thoughts and my feelings around these topics and how I can rewire my brain over time to see procrastination as bad and attack it first thing in the morning. So do you find that you, if it's something you're really interested in, do you still have the procrastination problem? Because I often wonder if, um, like, there's this Angela Duckworth who wrote the book Grit. She mm -hmm. talked. She talks about how like interests or intelligence follows interests, and if it's something she's really interested in, she can sound really smart talking about that topic. But if she has no interest in it, she just can't like fake you know, wanting to learn about it. Um, and I often wonder if like procrastination is partially just like a, a cue that that's just not something you should be working on or, or thinking about. Um, yeah. because if it's, if, cause I also struggle with a little bit with procrastination, but if it's things I'm like interested in, I just get into that, that like zone where you're not even thinking about that it's work, you know, it's just like, I'm, I'm enjoying doing this. Yeah. I would say for me, the one thing, and, and I still don't know, and I'm, and I'm figuring it out 
is like the writing and content side. Like mm -hmm. I know at a high level fundamentally the importance of it and I know I want to do it too. And I, and I know I have a lot of great thoughts and ideas to share and it's, it's not even specifically related to like video, YouTube content or podcast, but as simple as like writing, for example, but yeah. I struggle with even just sitting down for two hours and carving out that time to really write and flesh out ideas because of, for example, like I, I never enjoyed the art of writing itself, but I know like if, if I were to, to be able, but I'm not writing a history essay on Shakespeare in terms of like why he's a great writer, right? Like some random, you know, anthropology essay I write in college. It's, it's stuff I want to talk about, yet I'm still, there's still some sort of hurdle I'm trying to break past to get mm. it done. So. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I wonder that way with, for your writing, do you ever just have days where you sit down and you don't want to write or you don't write at all? I, so a lot of it for me is like a lot of the output is a function of the researching. So I never sit down with like a blank. I, I always am sitting down with three or four note cards that are my starting point. So I, and I find that that that's helpful for me rather than if I sit down and go, I know I want to write about this topic, but if I didn't have those, the, those note cards to help me like, get the ball rolling. Um, I think I would struggle. And there, there are days where I'm just like, I have no idea what I want to write about today. So I'll just go through like the notes and then, um, find whatever kind of like, Oh yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting. I'd like to like write more about that. And then, um, so for me, like the note card process has been helpful. And I wonder if like, that would be similar for you of just like kind of dialing in, uh, a system and like a, a way you get started. Cause once you get started, you, you um, like I, I might use a note card to get me going, but then I, like you get the, the momentum going and then you just kind of, your brain takes you wherever it goes. But, um, and another thing I do is, um, similar to this idea of, is just journaling. I do this, these three longhand pages every morning. And I always start with, the date, the day of the week, uh, where I am and what I've done so far that morning up to that point. Um, just cause it's like a, just as a way to, to know exactly how I'm going to start every time I do it. Um, uh, and usually by the time I, I get to the point where I've finished, um, all of those things and I'm, I'm, I'm at that point, the brain's gotten going and, I've something's come to mind that I want to continue to, to work through in the journal. Um, so just having that, like that starting point, that way of like start starting every time is, is helpful for me. I wonder if that would, would be, but be uh, useful for you as well. Yeah, it definitely would be. So it definitely would be. So I, I will, I will let you know as yeah, I give it a shot. My, my system. So cool. Cool, man. Well, I appreciate you hopping on the podcast today. I, uh, it was great learning about, you know, your experience and, and your writing and, and everything you're doing. So I'm excited to just see you continue to, to put out great content and, and crush it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And, and, uh, yeah, let's be in touch. Let me know how, how the, the writing stuff goes and if I can be of assistance in any way. hundred percent. And I might make my way out to Austin sometime in the next few months as well. So I'll, I'll let you know. Please do. Yeah, it would be awesome. Cool, man. Thanks right, for Tim. having me on the pod, Billy. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon.